MailChimp presents. So there's a time in the life cycle when all businesses come to an end. And sometimes there's nothing we can do about it. We're subject to forces that are bigger than ourselves. So for this episode, I decided to send Avery to a small town in America, way up in rural Maine, where that's exactly what happened. What did you find, Avery? Well, Bianca, I ended up in a town called Monson, which is way up there, like two and a half hours north of Portland. And it was the home of Moosehead Furniture up until 2007. And what you're about to hear is a story of what happens when a town and a business become intertwined and the aftermath that results when that business fails. All right. This is episode five, The End. When John Wentworth's grandfather and granduncle arrived in Monson, Maine in the 1940s, they found a town in rough shape. The black slate industry, for which the town had become famous, had been overrun by new materials and cheaper competition. So in 1947, the Durham brothers, one a woodsman and the other a Harvard Business School grad, opened Moosehead Manufacturing Company, which turned the abundant surrounding woods into well-made, competitively priced furniture. We were always a value a value line, not the highest price, but we were the ones that when people went into a store, they saw something like an Ethan Allen or a Pennsylvania house they loved, and they were shocked by the price. They'd bring them over and show a Moosehead, which is almost identical to it in every way, except about half the price. Moosehead didn't necessarily make furniture that took your breath away. If any Moosehead products made an appearance in Mad Men, they would have been in Don and Betty's suburban house, right at home amidst the plaid walls. But it was high-quality, American-made furniture, and the stuff was built to last. Nearly everywhere I went in Monson, someone would point at some chair or hutch and then get sidetracked trying to figure out when exactly it had been purchased. I'd hear stuff like, well, my mother bought that and she passed away in 1973, so we must have got that in the mid, maybe early 1960s or maybe even late 1950s, or maybe my father bought it and he retired in 1955. You get the idea. The 20th century was good to Moosehead. In just a few years, the company had sales reps all over the country and a showroom in New York City. Do you remember where in New York the uh, store was? Uh, it was on Lexington Avenue, and I don't remember what number it was, but I m- remember as a kid visiting it. It had a huge moose head mounted on the wall, and uh, the first thing you see when you came in, whether or not you liked the moose head or not, it certainly caught your attention. And soon, the town that had been known as the place that used to mine slate became synonymous with moose head. Any place in say the Maine, if you want to say, oh, you're from Austin, oh, that's, oh, that's Moosehead, that's where Moosehead is. Yeah, I got a piece of furniture, my mother's got a bedroom set for Moosehead. At its peak, Moosehead employed over 200 people. And in a town of 800, with more moose than traffic lights, this meant that if you didn't work at the factory yourself, you knew someone that did. Here's Monson residents Susan DeLoya and James Pullen. There was a lot of family members there, like myself and my father worked there. He'd been there for 44 and a half years. My mother. My family worked at Moosehead for several generations. My grandmother caned chairs there. My dad's uncles worked there through retirement. If you were a Monson teenager who wanted new clothes in the fall, 
you knew exactly where you'd be spending your summers. And on payday, a makeshift bank was set up in the town office basement, and God forbid you found yourself at the corner of Main Street and Water Street, according to Tyler Adkins. Uh, when the shift got out, there would blow a whistle or ring a bell or something, and we could hear that from across town. And then about two or three minutes later, there would be a big traffic jam at the intersection of Water Street and Main Street. So when John Wentworth took over the family business in 2001, he understood the responsibility. He wasn't just running a company. He was supporting a town, his own hometown. You take over, did you take your grandfather's office? I did. And uh, it was on the second floor with big windows that looked out over the sawmill. And the first day I walked up there when it was my job as president, was, it, was a little, it was emotional because my father had sat there, my uncle had sat there, my grandfather had sat there. And uh, you think about looking out that window over the years with all those other family members, and, and now it's, uh, you're sitting there looking out the window. So imagine John's concern when only a few years into his tenure, he starts noticing some new people showing an interest in Moosehead's products. We had a permanent showroom in High Point, North Carolina. We'd go down twice a year to, to meet with buyers, and uh, all of a sudden there'd be a lot of Chinese uh, supposed buyers looking to take pictures of your furniture and, and pick up catalogs. And, and I said, these guys aren't gonna buy furniture from us. They're looking to, they're looking to make stuff and to copy what we're doing. And uh, So they basically sent spies over to figure out what you're doing. Basically, yeah. No, not basically. Yes, they did. <laughs> Do you remember seeing a replica of one of your products with a made-in-China stamp on it? When I first saw some Chinese Windsor chairs, and they were made out of rubber wood, and they weren't made out of maple, and they weren't made nearly as well. But the wholesale price on the chair was less than what it cost us to buy wood to make that chair. And in some cases, it was so cheap that if it lasted four or five years, they could afford to throw it away and go buy new. And uh, th that was crazy to me. I mean, we grew up with people who had Moosehead furniture in their homes for 30, 40, 50 years, and they were proud of the fact that it looked just the way it did when they bought it. What advantage did the Chinese have over you? The real advantage was, uh, was labor. The labor rates were, at, when they first started, were, were the vicinity of 10 to 15 cents an hour, where we were looking at $9, 10 an hour, and this is in, in uh, the mid-2000s. So it was a big, big difference. Each quarter... John watched Moosehead sales dwindle. I mean, the board of directors were getting a little bit itchy. They wanted to know things weren't looking very good. And they read the, the newspaper articles, and we really could see what was coming was, was going to be the demise of the industry. And after two years of significant losses, John had a hard decision to make. And it was tough. I finally said to the board of directors, I said, unless you guys have got a better idea or you know somebody that's smarter than I am, I can't recommend anything except let's see if we can, if we close this now, we can pay off all our bills and not, not owe anybody any money. And that's the one thing I am proud about. When we closed, nobody got stuck. Pension plan was, was fully funded. In some places, you know, they lose their pensions. Something happens and the pension's gone. Or, or uh, medical bills might not get paid. And I, I couldn't live with that. I couldn't look people in the eye and know that they'd worked there the whole life and, and uh, they'd come away with... Uh, losing something because of something we'd done. So who told the employees? Uh, we had two plants. Uh, my brother told the employees in Monson, and I went to Dover and told the employees in Dover. Tell me about that day. I didn't sleep much that night. Um, so we had a, I had a script because I, I had to read it because I couldn't, I couldn't sit there and just uh, off the top of my head tell them that we were closing the factory. I had to explain to them why it was. 
and uh, thank them for their work over the years. And there's no reflection at all on them. It's just the way the world is changing. And uh, the hardest thing was to stand there and just and look at them. And uh, these are friends. These are people you grew up with. You know, these are people who worked in, in some cases all their life. Did anyone cry? Yeah, there were a lot of tears. There were a lot of tears. And, uh, and uh, kind of just couldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, sometimes you worry about people going in and, and damaging things or, or saying they get hurt. and This never happened. They, they were all, everybody was great. They understood. We'd been out front with them up to that point, I think, and I think that helped us. And uh, we've been a good employer over the years. So you showed them respect and you got it back. Well, when you live in the same town and your kids go to school with the kids who, who you know, and you go to school with a lot of guys who work there or they some cases, their parents are still working there. You know, you, you got to be a good, good guy. You can't, you know, this is not business is business, but on the other hand, it's a little bit more than that. You know, it's kind of like uh, being made the captain of the Titanic. You're the one that steers it into the, the iceberg. <laughs> and you feel a little, you feel guilty. Monson historian, Glenn Poole. Yes, after Moosehead closed, then people didn't have any money to spend, and, I mean, the general store closed up. Three years after Moosehead closed, Monson's elementary school closed down. Whatever children remained in town now had to ride a bus an hour and a half every day. And when the school goes, the, the sort of heart and soul of the town is gone. You know, that the presence, uh, that thing that pulls people in together, you know, like... School plays were not only attended, just attended by the families of the kids, right? Like, that was like the entertainment that we had. And it really gave the community a, a common thread. Yeah, I mean, it was a long, long and deep decline. And uh, I don't know that anybody uh, really saw kind of a path out of that. When you drove through town or walked through town and you saw all these kind of boarded up buildings, did you feel any sense of responsibility for that? Um, I probably should say yes, but probably no. I really, because the problems in rural America are much deeper than just one factory closing. New England used to be the, one of the centers for furniture manufacturing in the United States, and all the big players are all gone. They don't make anything in this country anymore. John is on to something there. Moosehead's story is unfortunately not an unfamiliar one. No matter where you are listening to this right now, whether it's western Colorado or downtown Manhattan, chances are something used to be made there. There were steel factories in Baltimore, sugar refineries in Brooklyn, copper mines in Montana, fish canneries in California, and family farms in every town. America has changed, and change is a complicated matter, with some faring better than others. But it turns out that Monson has, yet again, been one of the lucky ones. After years of lying fallow, a nonprofit organization by the name of the Libra Foundation made a huge investment in the town. Millions of dollars were spent to buy up most of the buildings on Main Street. Local carpenters were hired. Keeping you guys busy over here? Very, yeah. Yeah, it's been been good. Libra's aim? To turn Monson, Maine 
into an arts destination. The Monson Arts Residency Program has been running for nearly a year now. Artists and writers from all over the world arrive to a town that now sparkles. There's an art gallery, a fine dining restaurant, and the reopened general store sells everything from local jams to Italian wines. While I was up there, I attended an art event where I met a woman who was considering selling her house on the coast of Maine and resettling in Monson, something that would have been unheard of just a few years ago. I know there are some people in town who don't like what's going on, and I think primarily they say, it's not the Monson I remember. And that's true, because the Monson you remember is, is changing, and the Monson changed a lot when the furniture company started, and it's, it's always changed. When the school closed, Monson changed. It's going to be different than having a manufacturing facility in town, but nobody's going to come to these small rural towns. You know, manufacturing is pretty much a thing of the past, especially up here in rural Maine, because it's expensive to, to operate a company up here. But I think, in my estimation, we, we won the lottery. You know, the Libra model of bringing the arts, it's different than the manufacturing model, but it looks to me like it, it's, it's a piece of the puzzle. It may not be the whole piece, but it's going to attract people back into town because town's going to be attractive. There's going to be things going on, so it's encouraging. And if any of these new arrivals should get curious about how this little art community got its start, they can stop into the Monson Historical Society, where, on the second floor, beside pictures of slate quarries, hangs a large and furry emblem of Monson's past. That was in the showroom in, on Lexington Avenue. And people from New York walked in and... Saw their first moose. Oh, moose. <laughs> wow, that big! Yeah, that big. <laughs> you should see the other end of Thanks to John and Jim Wentworth, Susan DeLoya, Glenn Poole, John Tatko, James Pullen, Tyler Adkins, and Monson Arts. Life Cycle of a Business is a podcast from MailChimp, produced in partnership with Missing Pieces. It's hosted by me, Bianca Gaver, and reported by Avery Thompson. Music in this episode is by Billy Haran and Blue Dot Sessions. Our executive producers are Ari Kushner, Kate Oppenheim, and Brian Latt. And our line producer is Vicki Ilk. So we're deep in the woods up here. We're very deep in the woods. People come up here and, and look around, and I think some of them think, I don't know if I'll ever get out of here.